0: You are now listening to the sound of sanity beyond the wardrobe edition this is a special series of episodes wherein nathan and ben journey through the enchanted world of children's Children's fantasy Fantasy Literature. literature what will this journey bring you'll have to come with us to find out
1: had to happen folks we had to record another podcast that's what we're doing right now that's right i am nathan your friend and this is ben also your friend and my friend he's the preacher who's the teacher of children's fantasy literature hello people on the street see him and they're like hey it's the teacher who's the preacher of or yeah they say it they actually say it wrong <laughs> they do people on the street are idiots yeah.
0: <laughs> they can't be corrected. They
1: cannot be corrected. Some of the problems with people on the street. I don't know if you've noticed this. But uh, yeah, he's the preacher. He's the teacher of fantasy literature. And oh boy, folks, we took a couple weeks off. There was a conference in our presbytery that people went to and stuff like that. All kinds of fun things happening here in the world of our lives. <laughs> but that's not important to you. What's important to you is that you hear our review of alan garner's immortal classic the, the with the weird stone of
0: Brisingamen. the weird
1: stone of Brisingamen. me and ben took a chance on this one neither one of us had read it or any alan garner but some people recommended it on that famous twitter thread where we recommended some books for people to read this was a one that a lot of people mm-hmm. said like hey i grew up with this and i liked this and we were like cool we like children's fantasy books We should try this book. We
0: should try it.
1: And I dare say... We did. Yes. They were all of them. Deceived. (laughs) (laughs) We were all of us deceived. I don't know. It wasn't good, folks.
0: No. No.
1: No. No. So now we're in the awkward position of, I dare say for many of you, introducing you to a book you've never heard of, (laughs) by an author (laughs)
0: you've never heard of, Only to tell you you shouldn't read it. We intended to be in a less awkward position of doing those things and telling you, go read this. What a great discovery. Yes, that was our... Or what a decent discovery or something. Of all the words of mice
1: and men, the saddest are these. It might have been. We were trying to do that, but we have failed. (laughs) But hey, you still get to hang out with us while you tell us, while we tell you not to read this book that you were never going to (laughs) read. So let's get into it. Alan Garner. Now, it is true, Ben, that we both sort of said, well, we might want to try other books by this guy. There's a a mind and a talent here and maybe this is like his first book. He disowns this book a little bit, as we found out. Like he, I don't know, disown is a strong word, but he likes other of his works better,
0: I think. He has talked down this book and said it was a bad book in later years. Mm -hmm. But uh, people like the great children's author that you shouldn't read Philip Pullman, who's who hates God and quite explicitly, yeah, writes it into his children's fantasy. Is like Alan Garner is one of the great British authors of all time, and Britain should acknowledge that. Not one of the great fantasy authors. One of the just one of the great British. Well, I, maybe you know what? Here, let me pull up this quote again because I don't remember how he specifies. I
1: think you might have been right.
0: Yeah, I, I might have been. Yeah, let's see. No, 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 he does say. Here, I'm going to quote him. Garner is indisputably the great originator, the most important British writer of fantasy since Tolkien and in many respects better than Tolkien because deeper and more truthful, any country except Britain would have long ago recognized his importance and celebrated it with postage stamps and statues and street names. Anyway, that's Philip Pullman. So Philip Pullman's like, yeah, better than Tolkien. Not only do I hate God, I hate my country
1: and (laughs) think that... They should get on board with this guy that...
0: I'm sure he wrote a lot of other books and this was his first. You know, I'll give him some slack. Well, and it
1: it is encouraging that his criticisms, his self-criticisms are actually the same as the criticisms that we had. He's like, the characters aren't that great, which was one of the things that we really didn't respond to about this book was the bad characterization.
0: The flatness.
1: And so it's very possible that his later books are better. This one also has a fairly generic plot. Well, we'll talk about it, but I don't know. Is there anything we need to know about Alan Garner, Ben,
0: the great person who should be on postage stamps? I confess that I didn't really read about him, Nathan. (laughs) I mean, I read about some of the books he'd written, and I read him quoting that quote about his quote about his own work. But here, I can summarize Wikipedia real quick. So, hey, he's British. Hopefully you figured that out by now. And... He likes, he liked folklore. He is, oh yeah, he's still alive. Okay. 88 years young. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, what else do you want to know?
1: I don't know. I mean, it looks like he was born in Congleton. Just looking at his Wikipedia. Which I, yeah, I don't know Britain well enough to know what that means. He studied at Manchester Grammar School, then briefly at Oxford. And, ooh, bought and renovated a building called Toad Hall. That ties it all together. That's cool. And then, yeah, he got popular. He published this novel called The Weird Stone of of Brissingimmon. And then its sequel, The Moon of Gomrath. But he's also written other books, which I might be more excited to tackle, like Elidor and The Owl Service and Redshift. Don't really know anything about those. Mm-hmm. And he's written some non-fantasy books. But some people really swear by him. And, yeah. Who's the other person? Like, on the book that we were reading, it was Philip Pullman and somebody else like... Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, yeah. Neil Gaiman's a big fan. Seems like he's one of those guys that the people you like were inspired by. That's right,
0: yeah. I So I, here's a couple of tidbits about him. His family was all craftsmen, like stone workers and all kinds of things, and not highly educated, and it was part of their family pride. And when he got more of an education, it created a rift. Hmm. And so I think he felt that. I'm trying to think about the book we just read and see if there's any of that in there. I don't. No, no I mean, I can't. I it can't. has absent parents,
1: but that's kind of a trope of the yeah, genre. That's especially right. Kind of down... Kids
0: go off without their parents and get into a fantasy adventure. That's kind of a normal trope. Well, and it seems like a very, from the books we've
1: been reading, a very British of this era trope. Like you're... Nesbitt, your Lewis, your any number of these books start with kids whose parents are otherwise occupied, mm-hmm. and they're being watched after by guardians of some sort, and then they are free to go fall in with wizards or get sucked into Narnia or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, anything else we need to know about Mister Garner?
0: Oh, let's see. Dun, 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 nah. Well, this was um. Let's see. This was the first book in a trilogy, I I think, except it only had a second book and then it took until 2000. So this came out in 1960 and then its sequel came out in 1963. And then he didn't write a third book following up on the story until 2012. And he wrote a very different kind of book that sort of looks down at the other stories of the, the stories of the earlier books in the an interesting way. So I it's not... I haven't read either of these other books. I just... I read about that that very late sequel, and it sounded like something completely different, treating the other books more like artifacts or something.
1: Right. So he wrote two books, and then he self-admittedly lost interest in the series, yeah. didn't, didn't really like the characters. Now, we should say, I don't think he left, as far as I know, his audience on a cliffhanger or anything like that, sort of mean-spirited. I think he... I think these books are self-contained. I think, you know, the book we read has a con- conclusion, as does The Moons of Gramrath, from what I'm, I've seen.
0: But Yeah, here, you want to, here's a, this is a nice quote on the Wikipedia page about how he started. Yeah. As I turn toward writing, which is partially intellectual in its function, but is primarily intuitive and emotional in its execution, I turned towards that which was numinous and emotional in me, Hmm. and that was the legend of King Arthur asleep under the hill. It stood for all that I'd had to give up in order to understand what I'd had to give up. And so my first two books, which are very poor on characterization because I was somehow numbed in that area, are very strong on imagery and landscape, because the landscape I had inherited along with the legend. And he means, I think, the landscapes where he grew up. Right. And I don't know, do you think that's true, Nathan? These, are these books strong on imagery and landscape? I would say that was the
1: best thing about this one. Yeah. I mean, I, it didn't blow me away or anything like that, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I felt the landscape and the... Mm-hmm.
0: As a character, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Ah. So it did kind of remind me as I was reading of Susan Cooper's series the darkest rising series if you've read that dear listener some people are big fans i think it's been so long i read them in elementary school i don't know if i would still be a fan i think i think i'd probably enjoy them more than this one
1: i liked them when i was a kid i I, I remember very little about
0: them they're weird and dark They feel to me more overtly pagan than this one they Mm. use they're all about welsh mythology and this one is a little different. This one's more Norse ish. Right. Right. Yes. So, but I, I, it's been so long that I can't say more than that. I mean, it's the same thing. Kids go off and discover that they're part of this epic battle and good versus evil. And yeah. Are we just going to talk about Alan Garner and talking about the book now? I guess so.
1: Yeah, kids could go off and discover they're part of things and a brother and a sister they run into a wizard and he's like oh boy if only i had the sacred relic of whatever whatever and the girl's like i've got this tear bracelet that came down
0: to my family she realizes that that's the thing that he's mm-hmm. looking for but
1: not until a stupidly long time into the book it's like it's one of those things where maybe not a child which admittedly this book is written for children but as an adult I was like, oh, it's the tear bracelet. How neat.
0: It's Everything in this book has an arbitrary feeling Mm. from the characters who just kind of exist without much in the way of motivation. In fact, Colin and Susan, the brother and the sister, don't really have any motivation or almost any character qualities at all, except a certain doggedness. If
1: you had given me a million years and a million dollars reward to get the answer right, I never would have been able to pull Colin and Susan (laughs) ever at all
0: yep i'm good with names i guess i
1: don't think i'm terrible with names but colin and susan are zeros there's nothing interesting about them they don't bicker interestingly they don't love each other interestingly they just sort of
0: just sort of do things together
1: they are i mean we've read how many books now about kids going on magical adventures and these are By far the worst, and I would say that's the biggest black mark against this book. If everything else was exactly the same, but these kids were just fun to hang out with, or you felt something of your own childhood captured, or whatever, or they were just Mm -hmm. interesting, fun characters, if they had a little wit or something to them, then this book would probably be very tolerable. But
0: Now, do you think that would matter if you gave it to a kid at the right age? They would just use Colin and Susan as pure avatars, which is all that they're good for.
1: Yeah, I think, to be fair to this book... I'm sure a kid at the right age, with the right temperament, who likes this kind of thing, would like this book. There's adventure,
0: there's battles, there's caves, and orc-type creatures, and swords, and flying. So basically
1: they fall in with a wizard, just to tell people, and the wizard is guarding... The once and future king. It's a King Arthur-ish sort of thing. It's not. Know.
0: Yeah, there's no single king. He's guarding knights who need to be ready to ride out at the final battle of the world, and right. he's using the magic of the stone to do it. And the stone is lost, except like Nathan said, the girl has the stone. And spoilers. The bad The Dark Lord wants to what? He does. He want to wake them up early, or so they'll die before he yeah that's, rises again. That's, that's the idea. The stone keeps these knights asleep and it keeps them protected and if they wake up early they'll die before the dark lord is going to come to do battle and then he'll have a free and clear field
1: and there is there are some various villains there's a very ring wraithy guy who's a necromancer that's given himself to the powers of evil and is kind of acting in service of the dark lord and he's kind of creepy and then you've got kind of a free agent witch lady who's got her own designs. And on.
0: who's a shapeshifter, but she hasn't done any shapeshifting since she's been introduced. Right. And she hasn't, neither, they're both zeros as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say they're better than the kids. Like the bad guys are, at
0: least have a 2% juice. I'm not saying they're good. The wizard is pretty zero-ish. Yeah, the wizard was boring. Well, part of the problem is that the wizard is, does not seem very good at his job at all in any way. <laughs> no, he doesn't. That's part of the problem. It's not like, like Gandalf, was always ahead of everyone keeping information leaving to do important things and saving the day in unexpected ways and this guy's like well he didn't figure that out and that was pretty obvious and then Mm -hmm. he didn't show up for this but it was also seems pretty obvious that you should have shown up here at this time if you were looking for that thing this is all kinds of things like that where it's like "Eh."
1: yeah Um, i mean it's kind of like in the hobbit you forgive it because tolkien is just so good of a writer and he draws you in so well that you just don't care that gandalf goes away when he does gandalf is ridiculously overpowered he can solve any problem so at a certain point gandalf's
0: just like "Ah, i've got other things to do and leaves them to i i love it but even gandalf will get like when they're when they're cornered in the pine trees by the orcs and the wargs right yeah he'll need but well what i was gonna say is you
1: can you take that and you say tolkien gets away with it maybe only just barely but he does get away with it and it's just fine but then you compare that to Lord of the Rings where Gandalf does seem very powerful, and especially as Gandalf the White, he's very powerful. But you're following the strategy with him, and you understand mm-hmm. every decision that he makes. It's like, well, he didn't actually want to go through Moria, but circumstances compelled them to. And so now he's fighting a Balrog. It's like mm-hmm. it's never just Gandalf didn't think of something or wasn't. Right. No, no, no. Um his his intelligence level and his ability to strategize doesn't sort of bounce around based on what the book needs to do. Um, I mean, there's different ways you could do this. Rawling always was like, Dumbledore is acting ridiculously stupid, but I'm going to tie it all together with some giant, make it part of some ridiculous master plot that Dumbledore had that we'll explain at the very end of each book, and she... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some people think she gets away with it. I don't think she gets away with it. Anyway, In any case, this guy isn't even trying. His wizard is just like
0: Apparently dumb, doing dumb. the best he can. Right. He's, He's just, just a bad wizard. It, He's yeah. just not good at it. Yeah, that is the feeling, unfortunately. And that gives you maybe a sense that when things happen in this book, they feel arbitrary. Right. Like everything feels kind of arbitrary, to be honest. Yeah, the wizard does seem bad at his job the more you think about it. but somebody like
1: Diana Wynne-Jones would just lean into that and be like, he's a delightfully bumbling
0: wizard who's like, like make it a character point. Diana Wynne-Jones always understands how to sketch character and make it part of the thing. And if there's something to be frustrated about, she'll be right there frustrated with you. Right. And if there's really something incomprehensible, she'll be right there annoyed with you or as she's also able to do in some books from the perspective of the less mature characters the mature characters appear stupid right but you as the reader are like man this main character is really immature right and you're so you're in on it with Diana Wynne Jones of course that's part of the point so she can do all kinds of things like that but this guy I mean as you heard him say in his own words he's numb to character or characterization and Oh, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And so it makes everything, it makes all the plot points feel arbitrary in this really weird way. Yeah. It's just disconcerting. It's like, why this and why that? And what, am, what will make me care about the fact that we're having a cool adventure under a cave with sword battles and a magic crystal? That sounds perfect to me. Yeah. I love it, but I, I'm waiting to care. I'm halfway through this book and I'm waiting to care. Well, and I actually
1: think if I can project myself back into 10-year-old Nathan, I don't think I would have liked that book, this book, even as a kid. I don't think that – I mean, all the stuff that you mentioned, the battles and stuff, it's just fine. But I don't think I probably would have even made it there because I did, even as a young kid, need a reason to care. Yeah. And reading something like Tolkien, where you just fall in love with Bilbo Baggins from the very first chapter – spoils you yeah. for something like this yeah, it's, just it's like what i know there's books like that out there i yeah. want to connect to these characters i i'm just not going to be drawn in and you know yeah. i might go a ways with it but once you meet the wizard and he's not cool like okay fine the kids are just boring heroes but yeah then you meet a wizard and then you have a final chance because you meet a dwarf and you're like okay this, he's going to be comic relief or something like he'll be eccentric or interesting <sighs> And then he's not interesting. And then I think around that time, I would have given up as a, yeah. even even as a kid.
0: Yeah, you you may be right. And I might have done the same thing. I mean, as a kid, I read a ton. I read a ton of Lloyd Alexander. We haven't done an Alexander book on this podcast. So we might not get to him in this series. And Alexander has a lot of weaknesses that you can feel, especially as an adult. He tends to moralize a little too much, tends to Some things just become a little too pat because of his moralizing. I think maybe that's the main weakness. But, man, he never, ever makes the mistake of not giving you a character with a very clear motivation Mm -hmm. to care about, something to pull you in. And he's pretty good at making you feel sympathetic to those characters. Yeah. I take even mediocre Alexander over this book. And Alexander, there's also good Alexander.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, it was often, that often was the dividing line between the books that I really liked and the books that I gave up on as a kid. It was character. It's one of the reasons why I think I cut the Redwall series so much slack. They weren't great books and they tended Mm -hmm. to be repetitive, but you had really strong heroes at the center and you had a delightful cast of Mm -hmm. silly, zany, colorful characters with different accents and abilities and Mm -hmm whimsical eccentricities and stuff like that and that just made yeah. it really fun
0: oh yeah but not here not so much sadly
1: yeah i mean maybe i've just read too many things like that like i don't know maybe if you hit this at the right point and you hadn't read a bunch of other things you'd just be excited about like there's this ancient evil, and there's these sleeping kings. And I mean, I, I do like that kind of stuff, but I didn't find that it was so powerfully evoked here that it made me feel much wonder or eldritch terror or anything interesting like that.
0: No, no. Unfortunately, in that sense, it is more like a play of imagery, and there's nothing, there's no emotional weight or heft to any of it. The evil doesn't feel evil, the good doesn't feel good. Because you're not invested and you don't understand the stakes. Because you only understand the stakes in a book of fiction in terms of the char- how the characters feel them. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the story is going to put you in the perspective of someone or other. It's gonna, but this guy, he doesn't really give you a perspective on the world right. to invest in. I mean, nominally, of course, he does. There's good and there's evil in a very simple kind of way. But, it's, but not emotionally, not in a way that, not storytelling-wise. mm mm-hmm. He doesn't tell you the story of good and evil. He he does say he's going to do that, but... Yeah. Boo. Oh, well. Hey, I mean, all that, and I'm still interested in trying another book by this guy. Maybe it's just because he's so... He's significant. The significant British writer.
1: I mean, I would say his uh, evocation of place is good. Like, I did feel the dreary, majestic decay of... Mm-hmm. The swampy kind of British or Welsh or whatever it was area yeah. that we were in, yeah um the woodland and the marshland and the caves and the little ratty villages with smoke and sort of black tarns and stuff like that it's it's well done um mm. <laughs> there's definitely some talent here, so um yeah <sighs> I don't know what else is there anything else to say about this book?
0: I don't think that I have
1: anything else to say. I was afraid for a second you were saying, I, yes, there is something to say. Nine. Nine. Ah, all right. Well, folks, don't read that book you never heard of. <laughs> Maybe try a different one by Alan Garner. I hear Red Dust or Red Shift is supposed to be pretty good.
0: Huh. Yeah, it... I don't know. If we do read if we do read uh some more by this guy, it might be interesting to revisit. Yeah. Well, patreon.com forward slash son Until next time. It was as Colin and Susan had begun to suspect. He had the power of flight. <laughs>